This is episode 522 of the AWS podcast, released on May 11, 2022. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Lesher here with you. Great to have you back. I'm joined by not just a special guest, but our brand new co-host. Welcome to the podcast, Han Nguyen Lokran. G'day, Han. How are you doing? Fantastic. How are you, Simon? I am good. It is awesome to have you on the show. Good to be here. Yeah, so we're, we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, just getting to know you. Uh, your background, what you do at AWS, what you've been doing beforehand, and some of the things, the great things you bring to the show. So Han, amongst many things, you have one of the coolest IT names that you can use because, of course, when I hear Han, I think Han Solo, and I'm guessing you come across that quite a lot in your world. That is true. Uh, that's how I introduce myself as well. So it just helps people <laughs> remember who I am. And uh, I am a techie at heart, and uh, I wear that proudly. So, so. Identifying with Han, um, lightsaber or blaster? I'm going to have to go with both. I'll have a blaster on one and a lifesaver on the okay. other. And what color lightsaber is the choice? I will have to go with blue. Blue. Okay. Okay. So light, light side with a blaster as well. Yes. I like it. I like it. I'm going to resist the urge to get into really nerdy original Star Wars quotes at this point, um, and and the debate about whether you shot first or second in the bar scene. But um, well, yeah. for the record, I shot first. So just for the record, <laughs> it has been re-edited too. To, uh, to anyway, <laughs> so Han, you're a you're a senior manager of solutions architecture here at, at AWS. Where where do you live? Um, and maybe tell us a little bit about your your background, your your sort of uh, technology journey. Yeah, sure. Uh, I live in Atlanta, Georgia in the States, and uh, I actually started my career as a software engineer. I uh, started my career as a C, C++ uh, developer, then a Java developer. Then I became an architect, uh, software architect uh, through various domains from, you know, the various uh, airline industries, banking, supply chain solutions, telco, retail and finance. So I have the different perspective. But what you see across those different perspectives is that you you see patterns, um, you see things like, you know, some things from security, data concerns, data integrity, and et cetera. So there's certain patterns I see across with, as my experience as a software architect and engineer as well. So having started as a, as a C, C++ developer, clearly, for those who have not used those languages, you, you have to be far more familiar with the platforms you're developing on, the, the CPU you're using, et cetera. Firstly, from a compatibility standpoint, but also from all the cool performance hacks you can do. So you're, you're used to being or at least you started really close to the to the hardware. Yes, you're very close to the the bits and bytes of all the things, right? Because you have to also allocate the memory and deallocate the memory from the constructors and deconstructors uh, for those that are C++ uh, folks out there. And uh, one thing I always made mistake on is I forget to release the memory. So I always have to reboot <laughs> the machine. <laughs> and that's why we have well, Java. So that's where when yeah. Java came, I don't have to worry about that anymore, which is the beauty of it. Garbage collection for the win. I, I remember a, probably one of my, my most favorite and least favorite bugs I ever found in some code was was where we were using a fourth generation language but calling out to a C library. Um, and, and the call would be allocate the memory for the C library, call the C library, deallocate the memory. And we had this memory leak that just went on and on and on and was in production. It was terrible, terrible times. And everyone's looking at this code and we just couldn't figure out because it was really clear. Like it said, allocate the memory, call the API, deallocate the memory. And after three days of looking at that code, I realized that the comments said that, 
but the actual API call for the deallocation allocated again. So we'd cut and pasted the allocate. And instead of making deallocate, we built ourselves a really effective data leak thing. And uh, these are the kinds of problems you have to worry about with those kinds of languages. Absolutely. Especially when you have to do with pointers and pointers to pointers and pointers oh, to and pointers to reference. That's where I lost the memory. So that's where you have to reboot. <laughs> What uh, what languages do you reach for these days? Like if you if you got to just whip something up to show someone, hey, look how cool this is. What do you what do you write in? So most of my background is C, C++, but majority of it has been uh, Java. Uh, I started way back when it was uh, JDK 1.2 and we upgraded to oh, JDK wow. 1.3. So I started when I was five, if you're wondering. Um, so I was, <laughs> when I was a kid. Uh, so having to do that and um, you know ev evolving it to you know awesome frameworks like the Spring framework. And uh, most of my my background is job development. Uh, my latest have been Node.js. You know doing the NPM builds and the tree shake and, you know, also dampering into the Python code as we do more of like machine learning algorithms, etc. So I am uh, experimenting various um, code level and also from the UI perspective, uh, we do a lot of, you know, it used to be back in the Java days where you do like the JSPs and JSF and etc. But now you have single page apps, spa apps, where mm. you have a more lightweight, uh, more client mobile friendly user interface that is very reactive and etc. So um, so I like to see the full gambit of the end to end. Um, some people will call it the full stack development. But for yeah, me, I yeah. like to understand the architecture and the intricacies of how it works and how they integrate in the protocols and how to make a very effective, not only mobile enablement, but API. And why is it important to have those, you know, those service level contracts and, you know, secure it with like, you know, JWT tokens and et cetera. So um, just understanding more about the trends and the ever changing world of technology, especially things with IoT. A lot of IoT yeah, devices yeah. are out there as well, especially when you're doing like, you know, AWS IoT core, Greengrass and sending messages to MQ how do you ingest that to push it into you know data kinesis data streams and into your data lake so that you can get some real-time monitoring on what's going on with the manufacturing floor for example so those are the yeah, things I, I love to do I think it's interesting too you, you touched on the fact that there, there's lots of trends um, but there's also patterns and and it's there's you know as you as you sort of move along in your technology career I think all of us find ourselves being a little more jaded about the trends and far more interested in the repeating patterns, the reliable patterns. I think there's a, there's a saying I love, which is history doesn't repeat, but it echoes. And so I, I think, um, you know, you, you probably spend a lot of your time trying to figure out, well, is this, is this a flash in the pan trend or is there something here that builds upon something of the past that's actually useful? Yeah. And my goal in life is to automate myself out of a job. And so what does that mean? That means how do you templatize and automate and do infrastructure as code on some of these patterns and templatize it so that it could be repeatable and so that you can now innovate on new trends and how to build on top of that? Yeah, I think it's it's really powerful when you start to to dive into that stuff. And and you've you also talked about the fact that you've been involved in in architecture for a long time. Some of you, some of our listeners may be going, that voice is familiar. I've heard it before. You've you've done some. This is my architecture episodes too. Yes, I have done uh, several of this is my architecture episodes. 
really talking about the customer and having the customer walk through some of the innovations that they have done uh, from the medical field to you know hospitality to um, things of the financial and FinServe as well. So um, I also am TOGAF certified. It is the open. Ah, uh, snap. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now it's not a condition. It is actually an open. <laughs> it is an open group framework. Sure <laughs> exactly. This is an EA framework and mm. it's it's how you take that and you decompose the high-level architecture or the capabilities and how do you decompose that architecture to enable that capability because going through that North Star, what is it that we're trying to do? Are we trying to do more predictive maintenance on the pipelines so that we can be proactive, uh, making sure that water main lines don't break by deploying IoT devices at edge to detect anomalies? So working backwards from what is that North Star and the innovation and solution that we can construct from the solution building block. Let that drive the technology, not the other way around. Don't let the technology drive yeah. the solution. Let what we're trying to do drive what the technology that we should be using for the right solution. And that's the funny thing. I think once you, once you know what you're trying to achieve as a practitioner, you can start to, you start to know what the easy path is. Like, you know, what are the, the easier tools, the quicker tools, the, the more suitable approaches, uh, that you could apply to that problem. And I think if, you, if you're not locked into a particular technology thought process, it makes it a lot easier. Like like for me, one of the, the simple decision points often is, you know, am I going to use a relational database or a NoSQL database? And I'm pretty good now at picking <laughs> like which one I need, but I don't. I never go into a project going, I'm going to use this. Uh, it's more a case of, well, I'm going to let the data speak to me and and the data structures will speak to me and they'll tell me I'm relational or I'm non-relational or I, I would benefit from a more sort of flat structure versus a you know, heavily joined structure. You kind of start to hear those things. Right. I mean, it's like, is it an acid or is it a base, right? You know, how yeah, atomic yeah. do you need that? Is it eventual consistency? So this is where Andy Jesse would say, you know, the right tool for the right solution, right? The right, you, yeah, you want to yeah. use the right the right construct for your outcomes. And so let that be your North Star on what you need to build to meet your business outcomes. Now, you've also spent a time leading teams and managing teams as well. So so you're very aware that, that the, the technology part of technology is probably the easier bit. It's the human part that's trickier. Absolutely. It's the full gambit of the classic people process and technology. I used to run uh, nine scrum teams globally, um, and we basically drove the culture. And it, the culture part is the most difficult part, I would say. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a paradigm shift. If you want to enable that business agility and being that agile, you know, uh, environment to really embrace DevSecOps, it has to be within your day-to-day -day culture of why and why is it important and what are the automations that we can bring in and weave into, for example, the CI CD pipeline, invoke the, you know, uh, some of the uh, sonar testing and some of the cucumber testing to understand it is it doing what we think it's doing? And also in vulnerability testing as well. So it has to be with that as well. And, and from the code perspective, are we doing the code scan to identify things as cross-site scripting, SQL injection, um, and et cetera, right? So those are the things that we have to keep core, that security is on top of mind. And that is a culture that we have to change to embrace that and also deliver in a business agility way in a secure manner to meet the business needs. 
Yeah, yeah, and that, that mental shift is, is is a real key one. I think I think one of the things that often when people think about mental shift, they think it's because people were um, you know, intentionally or somewhat maliciously not paying attention to those things. A lot of the time it was just just didn't know about it. Like, you know, in my day, you know, when I was a developer, no one spoke to me about security vulnerabilities or, or risks or things I had to build for. It was just unawareness, uh, you know, blissful ignorance of, of what it meant. You know, oh, sure, I'll just open ports. You know, what could possibly go wrong? Um, and and I think now we're in a situation where we're trying to help teams understand the ramifications of their decisions so they can make intelligent decisions rather than operating in an in a information vacuum. And also the key thing is put it in your automation. So uh, the first yeah. infrastructure as code that I wrote are chef recipes. We uh, constructed infrastructure as code. We put in some of the security measures um, and permissions and et cetera. Then, you know, it eventually evolved into cloud formation. And I know folks use uh, Terraform. I've used both. So what are some of the automation that we can catch up front uh, because it's either you pay me now or pay me later. If you (laughs) don't address it now, it is only going to uh, even much more impactful uh, or could be more very damaging as well if you don't catch it early. And, uh, you know, we we often say that, um, that good intentions don't work. Uh, and that's why we automate. You know, we can, we can want the best, but we're, we're human. We'll forget. We'll do the wrong thing from time to time. It's okay. You know, we're humans. But um, machines are really good at doing the same thing all the time robustly if we code them right. Absolutely. And um, how my style is, I lead by example. I am a, uh, I still have fingers to keyboard. I still do a couple of, you know, tests here and there, spin up an EKS cluster and deploy like Jenkins with Helm and just understand what that looks like and show folks how to do it. Not just talk about the art of possible, but show them the art of possible. And um, I'm very much into understanding, again, the nuts and bolts of everything. You know, this new release comes out, you know, how does this work? And just let's try it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's what's your daily driver IDE these days? My IDE is, I would say, I still have to go with Eclipse. I know some folks are talking about IntelliJ, but I still like kick it old school <laughs> with Eclipse. But I will say I've been using a lot of the AWS Cloud9 IDE instead. Because um, mm, mm. like... If the, from the compute, if you're having, for example, uh, let's talk about Java, right? If you're doing a Maven build, right, you just want to just offload that onto a compute and not on your laptop. And so having that compute power on the Cloud9 helps me just delegate that out. And you can still run your Maven build and install, and you still have that IDE. It's the libraries that you install on it to ensure that it's compiling correctly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, likewise, it's funny you say that. I've been building some demos lately and, and lots of different, very different environments in different accounts, et cetera. And I've been using Cloud9 heavily to do that so that I don't uh, you know, ruin my beautifully pristine development environment that I've got locally. And uh, it's super powerful, super easy. And yeah, dial- dialing up the capacity and the storage is great. But also, yeah, you can connect remotely from your IDE of choice into those Cloud9 instances too. So you kind of can get the best of both worlds. So it's definitely... Uh, it's, a, it's more handy than I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I kind of kick it old school. I love to be on the command line, just, you know, yep, yep. edit things with the VI. I'm a VI fan. So, yay, yay. So, Same. <laughs> it just works. No matter, I knew I liked something about you, hon. <laughs> <laughs> it just works. No matter what flavor of Unix, Linux, VI just yep. works. And so I just yep. go on that one. I'm just comfortable there. 
So that's yeah. what I like to do. It's, it's totally, yeah, there's a whole lot of people going, Emacs, Emacs. <laughs> you know, it's like, what are you doing? But, but you know, it's funny you say that because I, I remember one of the, the most impactful lectures I ever attended as a young graduate back 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 in the day was was a lecturer who said, you know, no matter what happens, at some point something really bad is going to happen and the only editor that you'll have available to you is Vi. Learn how to use it and learn how to use it without arrow keys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really hit home. <laughs> absolutely, I mean, I, I love Emacs and everything like that. But I have to, if I have to stop and pause and install it <laughs> when I need to get something <laughs> yeah, really quick, yeah. and yeah, yeah, it's it's just my go-to. And you know, being in the Linux command line is just my home. I just feel at home yeah. with that one. So something yeah. about the the shell line that's just like, yes, let's do this. That's just how I go. So tabs or spaces. Oh, depends. I probably. Oh, wow. You are a solution architect, huh? (laughs) I am. That's the classic solution architect (laughs) answer. (laughs) It depends. What's your use case? (laughs) <laughs> so what do what do you do outside of uh, of working in AWS? What are some of your your pastimes, your hobbies, things that really uh, get you out of bed in the morning? Well, I have been building Raspberry Pis with my son. I am a mother of two, cool. and uh, we're trying to build a three D model with three JS and Canon JS. It's just a sampling where you can actually do like a three D image with a remote control. So I like to try to like do these little side projects with my kids. Uh, I'm trying to mold the next generation. Maybe that's just the other thing about you. Uh, but yeah, I, I really love to keep my hands in tech and just try out something new, spin up new instances and, and et cetera. And, uh, and just, you know, um, having that legacy with my kids, you know, working on my, mm, my, mm. my daughter, she's not quite there yet, but my son is there. So uh, it's one of the things I'm trying to do. That's cool. That's cool. And I think, I think, yeah, the, the, the ability to build these days is so much more accessible than before. But, but, you know, I, I often worry that we're in a world where everyone has consumption devices versus creation devices. And, you know, in my mind, a, a, a creation device has a keyboard, has, has, you know, pluggability, things you can plug into it, et cetera, where it makes you create. Whereas a, a consumption device is, yeah, you know, the, the touch, the typical touchscreen experience. We all spend a lot of time on, et cetera, but very difficult to create on that platform. So I, I like when we, when we particularly give younger, more pliable minds the opportunity to build and to, to, to make things because there's that, that real satisfaction when something works that first time. It's like, you know, the, the eyes light up, don't they? Absolutely. And my son, I had him on some coding class with uh, building Java objects on Minecraft. So oh, wow. I'm uh, cool. molding my next Java developer. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the dinner table arguments about was struts a good idea? Oh, no. Um, no. You know, what happened with J2EE? I mean, this could, it could, I mean, Thanksgiving, wow, it could really go off. Oh, I know. Stateful beans and stateless beans, really? Yeah. Oh, EJB? Man, come, on. come on, really? Let's go to. <laughs> what were you thinking, mom? <laughs> Pojos, go to Pojos. So. <laughs> Yeah, it could go on and on. So, Hon, you're going to be doing, um, uh, obviously, the update shows with me. You're also going to be doing a lot of launch episodes and some other cool stuff. So, our listeners are going to get to to hear from you a lot. Um, how do you like to uh, to in- interact with the community? What are your, the platforms that you tend to look for? Look at? Um, I like to talk to folks, you know, via like, you know, Twitter, uh, social media, LinkedIn. I like to go to Atlanta um, or also any other meetups as well, just to uh, talk to the folks as well. And uh, in Atlanta, they have something called Atlanta Java User Groups. Uh, I like to attend some of those conferences um, and just understand what's happening and what's the trend and just check out some of the things, um, kicking around different ideas. So that's always interesting to me on uh, those different platforms. 
Fantastic. So how do folks find you on on Twitter? So I am on a Twitter at Han Solo. That's H-A-W-N-S-O-L-O underscore one. Uh, as, uh, that's a Twitter. Because there is only one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There is only one. And on LinkedIn, um, if you just go to LinkedIn slash in slash Han Solo, H-A-W-N-S-O-L-O, you can find me there on LinkedIn as well. Fantastic. Well, it's super exciting to have you on the show as a co-host and uh, no doubt we'll be hearing a lot more insights in the future. Welcome aboard. Thank you. I'm so honored and glad to be here and this is going to be a blast. It's going to be fun. And we do love to get your feedback. ADBS podcast at amazon.com is the place to do it if you're old school like me and use email. And I do read all the emails. And until next time, keep on building.